The Eyes to the Left. Hello and welcome to Eyes to the Left, the Mirror's political podcast. My name is Jason Beatty and I'm joined by my colleagues Kevin Maguire and Nicola Bartlett and we're going to be reviewing the conference season. We've had the Lib Dems, they were down in Brighton, uh, we'll come to them later because they're worth at least a couple of seconds chat. Then we had Labour in Liverpool followed by the Conservatives who wrapped up yesterday in Birmingham with an all singing and unfortunately all dancing speech from Theresa May. So we're going to look back and give our verdicts on what were the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the political skullduggery, the winners, the losers of what has been actually I think quite an interesting conference season because we had big debates, big debate in Labour on Brexit, in the Tories there wasn't taking much kind of argument taking place on the main floor but in the fringes huge rows over Boris, over Gain, over Brexit and the direction of the Conservative Party. So, Kevin, what did you think of the, the conference season as a whole? Who, who emerged well? Looking back on it, I think the pendulum has swung in Labour's favour. How far and whether it's sustained, I don't know. But all the political battles now are on Labour territory and I think uh, Jeremy Corbyn, particularly John McDonnell, the Shadow Chancellor, who's increasingly influential, are redefining uh, the, the issues and that we saw Theresa May really answering Labour in her speech. Mentioned La- Labour and, 20s, uh, and Corbyn 27 times, the Conservatives only 15, uh, Nicola did the, did the sums and I think that's a, that is a change. She might have got a little bounce with her dancing um, but that speech she made is quite easy to take apart, lots of holes and contradictions in it, and austerity hasn't ended, that austerity that Conservatives imposed. But I think it's Labour that emerged, the uh, the, the winners, and the, the Lib Dems, I'm afraid, under Vince Cable, who looks like he's just a, a caretaker on his way out on oh, Norway. And what was, yeah, I mean, Labour is making the political weather, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, they are the party which has got the, the, the boldest, most kind of imaginative ideas. And and as Jeremy Corbyn said in his speech, we are now the new mainstream, which is which for somebody who's come from the you know the, the far left of the Labour Party, this is quite an achievement, isn't it, to to take his ideas and drag them to the centre ground and have some sort of popular appeal. He's caught the zeitgeist for change and he and make the radical look reasonable. And people are fed up with being ripped off by privatised industries. They want more power over their lives. They look at their incomes and they're, they're very low, still about 10 or below what they were a decade, and people are just fed up with it. And it's very hard for the Conservatives to renew and refresh in power, particularly when they're consumed by Brexit, an issue that'll affect Labour, of course, and Labour's got its own splits, but Labour is pretty nimble on its feet now as a, as a party, and the debate has changed. It happens in, in politics. It happened in 1945. It happened in 1964. It happened regrettably in 1979. It happened again in 1997. Uh, and it feels as if it's happening again. Do you, do you agree, Nicola? Are we on one of these kind of great kind of you know seismic shifts in our kind of political history? Is this a, is this a kind of a moment where we we'll look back and go? The argument changed then, you know, just as it was. Kevin said, "You're probably too young." It's, uh, we can remember changing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. to Thatcherism in 1979. I, I, I'm definitely too young to remember 1945. <laughs> as Jason said to the young Clement Attlee. <laughs> um, I think, I think what 
we're seeing, I mean, it's, it's been said many times before, but is the kind of delayed reaction to the, to the crash. And actually, as Theresa May identified, that, that has actually been the defining event of, of a generation of voters. And it's something that Labour picked up on far more quickly than, than the Tory party, that there are so many people for whom, you know, the, the chances of ever owning their own home just seems like a dream. You know, the just to get by, just to be able to sort of, you know, pay the rent and and make ends meet, has been such a, a monumental struggle. Um, and I think you know, Labour have been in tune to this for a long time, but I think what they managed to do this this conference is to make the kind of radical rhetoric that that Corbyn has always felt comfortable with marry up with some of the kind of more practical ideas throughout the party and you know the person I think probably needs credit for that is John McDonnell you know you couldn't go to a Labour event without seeing him he must be exhausted after that conference. It's a stacanovite he just works tirelessly. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I mean you know we've all probably joked about the way which he always used to kind of have his own rival budget every year and you know prepare his own plan for government but he has literally been preparing for this job you know for so many years and actually that kind of works paid off and I think he he's managed to um, identify the ways in which you know the people's frustration at things like the railway I mean the railways is a really good example I think this year especially kind of how you can speak to people not necessarily in kind of you know Marxist radical uh, rhetoric but it just in ways that that appeal to people's everyday lives and I, I think you know a lot of May's speech was in direct response to to what Labour have been saying yeah, and that's one of the things I, I picked up at the Conservative Party conference. Like this kind of real kind of kind of kind of anxiety about how to handle Labour, and yeah. you've got some kind of let's say the Mayites saying, "Well, we just kind of offer a kind of paler version, but well, it's going to be a Tory version, so it's going to be more reasonable." Mm. And then you had the kind of the ultras mainly on the fringes, going, no, we need to do more kind of Thatcherism. We need to go further to the right. And there's this kind of libertarian side to them now, saying, let people be free to do everything. You know, you've got Liz Truss saying, I'm a disruptor. And, and I kind of thought that they, the Tories are now, I think, kind of almost adrift because they don't know which way to turn. I and, think they're out of touch with, yeah. with modern Britain. Uh, and they, they don't know how to, you know, they want to, they want to change people rather than be changed by people. And I, I think the difference, as you say, and those who think, right, we'll have a sort of a, a pale blue version of whatever um, Labour's proposing, and those who just say, no, we've got to go further down, libertarian, free market, deregulation, almost follows the Brexit debate. Exactly. Those who, yeah. want to, those who want to do a deal of some sort and have a, an orderly withdrawal without wrecking the economy and sort of mean being in the customs union in some way, they tend to think, right, what can we answer Labour with? We'll do a bit more money for schools or whatever comes down the line. While the hard Brexiteers, the Brextremists, are those who, you know when they get Brexit, what they want. They want a bonfire of regulations. They want to turn Britain into a treasure island off Europe for very big, wealthy individuals as a, as a, as a tax haven. They don't want workers well, to this, have rights or higher public spending. This was always the... the, the, the intention behind Brexit and the greatest kind of coup they pulled off was convincing convincing Leave voters that it was in their interest yeah. 
to have a kind of you know kind of factorism on steroids. Yeah. And, and that was what, what was that was the argument behind Brexit. It was it, it was about you know not just free markets but kind of you know completely liberalised markets. Well, the only time they're concerned about the low pay and insecurity of workers is when they can blame migrants for it. The rest of the time, stronger trade unions are against the end of privatisation. They're against ten, uh, tendering. They're still for any anything that would uh, inc- increase people's security. And pay rises they're against, but they, they demonise migrants, of course, you know, the evidence is migrants have very little negative impact, uh, yes, some low paid and some low skills, but by and large, it, that's not why people are low paid uh, and, in, and insecure. And they have, it's a, they pulled off a coup, the yeah. Brexit streamers have pulled off a coup. And then I thought yesterday what you had was, was May papering over the cracks, I mean, I mean it was a it was a kind of a, a speech of somebody who was saying, "I'm not going to have an, a row now over Brexit, and I'm going to be less stingy later." And that was the, the whole contents of it, as far as I could see. There wasn't much more than that. I mean, it was it was well crafted, and it sounded much more impressive. But once you buried down, there was very few policy announcements, and it was much more about language than actually delivery. Is that right, Nicola? Yeah, I think. I mean, you know, obviously we saw it in contrast to the previous year's speech and the, the bar was set incredibly low for delivery. So I think the fact that she came out with this speech, which was, as you say, well-crafted, had a kind of thread going through it. She, you know, she made the connection between... Um, she, she was referring to the war memorial in, in Birmingham and she kind of made a thread between that and the kind of society that she kind of envisioned for the country. So there was a bit more of a kind of... Um, painting a picture but as you say she she didn't mention checkers that was the big kind of omission from the speech and no c word at no all. c word <laughs> um, and i think what's interesting about that is the reaction to it because like ian duncan smith was on tv yesterday saying that that shows that she accepts that checkers isn't going to work um whereas other um, more remain supporting and he seemed to be saying oh that means that she's kind of um, holding her nerve and not capitulating so well so it is it, I think yet yet again on Brexit she's kind of put in the government into a holding pattern and you know we are literally running out of time on this yeah and she should enjoy her headlines this morning yeah because this is probably as good as it gets the next two or three weeks are going to be pretty rough but the thread through that speech was dishonesty yeah. Because uh, even go back to the First World War, uh, people were promised homes for, for heroes and jobs, and they weren't. Uh, they weren't there, and uh, her party uh, has to take some responsibility for that. But you look at the ha- housing crisis, crisis, and a wrecked market. You now Trump and him are going to allow local councils to borrow to build council houses. Well, they stopped them doing it. Yeah. Uh, if you look at if you look at the economy and appalling growth, she, she's blaming um, the financial collapse, and that was part of it. But austerity was an ideological choice. Uh, in it's breathtaking how she tries to rewrite what happened because if you if you look at uh, either the deficit or debt, they were lower as a percentage terms of the GDP at the start of the financial crisis two thousand eight under Labour, and they were Labour inherited in nineteen ninety seven from the Tories. Yeah. Uh, or attacking abuse yeah. when the Conservatives deliberately targeted Diane Abbott. Now, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's decent and smart in some ways for her to say the abuse must have ended. It has to end, but it has to end by Tories or two. Where, where was her apology for the racist go-home vans she sent out? Where was her apology for the Windrush scandal she was a major figure in? They just weren't there. Now, it's almost as if she's just been parachuted onto the stage and mm-hmm. none of this is her responsibility. 
Yes, it is. And austerity is continuing, as we all know. Benefit cuts are still coming yeah. in. Local councils still don't have, have money. Universal credit is going to make people a lot lower. The police have launched legal action over a below inflation 2% pay increase after she sized the 3% recommendation. Austerity is still here. And according to the government figures, they're going to be austere up until the but, middle of but, the next decade. This is, this is classic May. It's almost like if she could have, could have mentioned something, she thinks it's going to happen. So she kind of has always got a strong <laughs> rhetoric about tackling burning injustices. And she is, you know, kind of helping with just about managing. And now she's saying, we're going to call an end to austerity. But what happens in reality, she never delivers on any of these She's things. quite a devil for a vicar's daughter. <laughs> Once you, uh, the, as the suffragette said, <laughs> it's a deed, not, deeds, not words. And yeah. the reality and the rhetoric, there's a chasm between what she's, what she's done and doing and will do and what she pretends. I mean, she, especially when it comes to this idea of the end of austerity, um, she was, she, as you say, she, she yet again blames Labour for what was a global financial crisis. You know, a Tory lie that's, that really has taken, taken hold. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's arguably kind of too late to, to tackle. Um, and But she had this incredibly kind of patronising way of, of speaking to people. You know, we've all sort of suffered and now we've come through the other side. Um, and it... You know, people's lives have been ruined by austerity. You know, there are people who have, you know, remained on waiting lists for uh, for homes, for mental health care, for you know, for so many elements of people's lives it has touched, and they they're not going to suddenly be okay because you've declared that it's over. And even if you were to put, you know, so much more money into um, to services, especially local government, which they've shown no signs of doing, the damage that's been caused would, would cost so much money to repair that the idea that austerity ended is just a joke. Well, it's the language she uses of people and communities were left behind, as if it was nothing, nothing to do with her. She yeah. held them back. It was a direct result of government policies and the austerity that was imposed as, as people either saw their living standards fall because they're working in the public services or they've got weaker trade unions or your benefits are being cut and that includes people in work with 60% of people who are in poverty actually being in households where people are working and low pay is a huge problem and she does nothing about that. What did they do? They rebadged the minimum wage as a living wage which was utterly dishonest by George Osborne. And does has she done enough to kind of you know save her, keep her in office for another year, or do you think it could still all unravel very quickly? And this was her last speech. I think unravel very quick. I think she didn't address any of the fundamentals. And Nicola mentioned she didn't use the C word. Uh, checkers her plan. When you cannot even give your Brexit plan its title at a Tory conference because you're frightened people will murmur, perhaps boo, very lukewarm applause. You might have even got a walkout by one or two hotheads. I think that just shows you how uh, how she's trapped. And uh, she's got on the one hand, she's got all these Brextremists, the Moglodites, uh, and then you've got 27 other countries which are more united than your own cabinet. And you've got Labour waiting to strike and vote against wh whatever you come up with. She's, uh, she's still in a very weak and wobbly position. And I mean, I think that's the interesting thing about Labour in contrast to the Tories, who have obviously had a huge, their own splits over this. But the way in which Labour Party conference works allowed there to be a debate. 
Now, what the motion that they ended up voting on, you know, you can call it a fudge, you can call it a compromise, but they have actually gone through that difficult process in quite a public fashion. Whereas, as you say, at the Tories, a lot of this was done in fringes, on the sidelines, briefing against and each other. And the main conference hall was empty for most of the <laughs> week because there's no debate, no discussion, no. and they're kind of insulting their members almost, and definitely insulting anybody who was foolish enough to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny, isn't it? The, they, their conference is about half the size of, of, of Labour's, because yeah. they've, they've only got, uh, what, a quarter of a fifth of the members, but they've got about half, half, it's about half the size. But they have no decision making in the halls, which is completely sterile. Labour has an incredibly vibrant hall mm. where there are rows and discussions, but that's democracy and it's messy. Uh, and Labour also has the fringe, mm. which is incredibly uh, exciting. Now, the Conservative fringe is exciting. I'm not going to deny mm. that. And most Conservatives I meet there, ordinary members, are really decent people. Yeah. Which is wrong. They're very decent <laughs> people. But all their action is away now, isn't it? It's, it's not controlled mm. or it's not really very little to do with the leadership. Yeah. And it's also, I think, out of touch with kind of how people want their politics done. I think yeah. people are, you know, they, they don't want that control freak of the Blair years. They, nope. they, they, you know, that led to the anti kind of politics sentiment. They like seeing people have our honest debate honest yeah. in public and, and they can see that there's two sides or sometimes three or four sides to an argument and that it's, it, you know, things get resolved through the discussion. And I think Labour handled it actually quite well. I'm not sure it's what the leadership wanted, mm. but I don't think it was bad for politics. No, there were still fixes at Labour, for instance, over <laughs> not having a second deputy yeah. leader who's going to be a woman. The mm. party leadership didn't want it because they feared they wouldn't yeah. get the woman they, they were going to choose. Yeah. It would be somebody else. But no, the it is, it is much better to get uh, to get a proper debate, the discussion, and you have participation. And then you also have some ownership, actually. The decision might not go your way, but if you've had your voice and yeah. you've had your vote, you can accept that father rather better than if it's just imposed on you and you're issued a diktat and told, right, this is the way it's going to be. Yeah. I think it was interesting as well on the, on the main stage at Tories because there was some, I think, desire to actually borrow a bit from Labour and um, they had these strange kind of um, almost chat show lineups of the uh, vice chairs of the Conservative Party it it was a sort of more you saw more people get up and speak than um, who were kind of multicultural backgrounds uh, it was a transgender um, Tory member which may be a first for, for Tory conference so it was very stage managed and very controlled but I think they are they are mindful of the fact that Labour do have that um, done in a much better way. Well, I mean, yeah, you could say, you know, Labour's kind of winning the cultural wars, particularly mm. among younger voters, aren't you? And that's the other thing the Tories are really concerned yeah. about. I, mean, I, kept, I kept telling this at fringes, you know, <laughs> but, you know, 75 to 80 percent of kind of 18 to 24 year olds back Labour. It's a this is a generational problem they've got now. Yeah. And, it's, a, it's a dying party when it, yeah. it gets. gets it gets more from people in their wills leaving legacies than it does yeah. from the living members. Well, they even had a kind of, you know, leave your money kind of requested when you got your conference pack, didn't you, of your pass. I thought, God. <laughs> it's it's going to be that dangerous. You might have anything to leave. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, it would go to a d good dog's home. Bought to, <laughs> bought to death by the culture secretary, Jeremy Wright. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So, talking of which, which was the kind of, what was the worst kind of, you know, the, Speaker, who had a good conference and who had a bad conference? And let's go through the Tories first. I mean, I thought, you know, I thought Sajid Javid actually did okay. He's not a great speaker, but it wasn't a bad speaker by his standards. And uh, there was one terrible kind of slip up though, where he said that they were going to fight hope uh, rather than hate. He meant to say we were going to 
fight hate with hope and he ended up saying they were going to fight hate with hope. <laughs> so, uh, lots of people promptly joined up. Okay, Good. I thought Philip Hammond and Liz Truss made good speeches. Disagree with them, but I thought they were good speeches. Dominic Rudd, the Brexit secretary, not on Europe, but about his uh, family history mm. and so on. But the the worst, uh, apart from Boris Johnson, who, who completely just imploded, and from calling... Uh, Theresa May's plan deranged by extension her at the beginning and then go for a rambling speech of his own in a it was well attended, he got a stand innovation, but actually it was pretty, pretty poor. I thought the big loser and a significant loser going down is uh, Jeremy Hunt, the yeah, Foreign Secretary. Yeah. For likening the European Union to the Soviet Union, which normally only the foamers and frothers on the extremist fringe do. Now he's pretending he didn't say it, and the speech isn't in the Conservative Party archive. All the other speeches are there, but they haven't included that. But unfortunately for him, that's, TV that's and radio, with an ice pick next, uh, making his ears burn. Uh, yeah. it, the problem is, it is there and it's recorded, and he's cut off. He's negotiating legs. When one of the fun things you do as foreign secretary, you have to charm your opponents. The other 27, I'm going to be thinking, you yeah, compare us to the Soviet Union. What an idiot. What a prized chump. Well, I mean, it was doubly disappointing because, one, you thought you couldn't get a worse foreign secretary than Boris Johnson. And yeah. people were kind of crying out for a grown-up in that post who would actually, mm. and he thought, Jeremy Hunt, you know, he's, he's kind of usually quite charming and, you know, he might actually restore some of our credibility in the kind of diplomatic circles. And he, and he then does this kind of... What was so obviously an attempt to ingratiate himself with the Brexiteers yeah. ahead of a leadership contest. Yeah. And actually, you know, the Brexiteers may be deranged, but they're not stupid. They could see through it. Mm. You know, I mean, why he didn't need to do it. It was a kind of idiotic mistake to make, which has actually kind of damaged us. And yeah. I kind of, yeah, they marks think. down for, for Jeremy. Saji Javid will be delighted. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And you, you did mention him. And he kind of dominated conference without actually being there, which was kind of Boris. He, he kind of, mm. you know, he kind of did this ridiculous kind of, you know, 4,000 word newspaper article, then ahead of conference. Then he did a round of, of, of interviews on the Friday. Yeah, then he kind of did kind of more interviews in the Sunday papers. I mean, he did everything to try and upstage. By the time he gave his actually his one speech to this the, the conservative home rally, it was almost like his time had been and gone, hadn't it? And people were getting fed up with Boris. We kind of been saturated with kind of the. Uh, I think I think he knows. I think he. I think you can just almost see him. He's a windbag that's deflating. And uh, trolling Theresa May in a wheat type field, posing for the pictures. It's it, it, it's almost just desperate uh, politics by him now. Absolutely desperate and. I think Pete Johnson is gone. It's, it's just all, it's over. You just cannot see him. And the person that got slagged off most by Tories, uh, when you talk to them in the bars or the big conference centre, you just bump into them. And as I say, they're quite friendly and, and chatty. It was Johnson. They all felt he'd been yeah. disloyal and traitorous. And in quite a clever move, the warm up act for Theresa May's speech was this Tory called Geoffrey Cox, the Attorney General. They found. Another Bufton Tufton incredible Tory who can give a, a, a kind of you know rousing speech, and he's not called Boris. And he thought, I can see what they're doing now. Look, you're not the only kind of you know. If if we if we want the kind of you know kind of uh, the kind of the thespian type kind of you know, your Brian Blessed. Yeah, if, <laughs> I, I, we've got Jeffrey Cox now. Nah, yeah. that's right. That's right. I mean, I did think it was rather remarkable to have somebody like that when you, you, you try to say, look, we're, we're a modern Tory party and you've got, you've got somebody from the 50s, the 1850s, yeah. uh, you know, bellowing. Uh, 
we look at the register of members' interest, I'm sure he's made hundreds of thousands of pounds. Uh, that was probably the cheapest speech he's ever given. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. What about you, Nicola? Anybody you thought could have shone at conference or had a bad time? Um, I think Matt Hancock actually came across quite well. Because uh, he's got a new health secretary. Yeah, he's... Um, yeah. He... I went to a friend and he was actually genuinely quite funny, which I wasn't expecting at all. It's always disconcerting <laughs> when you see conservatives behaving normally. Yeah, <laughs> What's you going sound on? sound like a normal human being. And he also opened up about his experience of dyslexia um, and how he's struggled with that, including once writing a leaflet for a fellow Tory in which he, the tagline was meant to be unite the community and he ended up writing untie the community <laughs> and Zori lost. So, uh, yeah, that did disturb me because he was genuinely quite um, quite normal. I think he's grown since he's no longer in George Osborne's shadow. Yeah. And he, he was a, a pupil of George Osborne yeah. when he was Chancellor and I think he suffered as a result. He might have got some promotions at the time but he can now be his, his think, own politician. I think also it play, he's... What played quite well is the fact that he was offered the digital minister role as a kind of demotion when Theresa May came in and he said, yeah, I, I love digital stuff, I'll totally do it. And most of us probably didn't know there was a digital minister and he came along and, and kind of and, made it his own. Brandon Lewis, Tory party chairman, should have found a digital minister. Yeah. We, let us not forget <laughs> that the, 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 the conference got off to the most haphazard start when they gave away all the personal details of the politicians and the journalists and the donors. It's dreadful. Let, letters last year was nothing compared to that security. Yeah, because yeah. they will probably get a hefty fine down the line from the uh, from the information commission. Yeah, so I think Brandon Lewis, poor guy, he had a pretty rough conference. Yeah, he he's not very really good. As let's <laughs> be honest about it, he's not inspiring. No, uh, I would have thought he's got a very limited shelf life. If I was a bank manager and he asked for a loan, I wouldn't give him one. I'm not sure he's got the uh, employment uh, security to sustain the repayments. Talking of limited shelf lives. Vince Cable's going to have to shuffle off soon, isn't he? He's, uh, that was a pretty dire conference for the Lib Dems. It was very flat, I thought. Morale was low. They seemed more relevant than ever. After his erotic spasm. Oh, yes. An exotic spasm or an erotic spasm. But he couldn't bring himself to say the words he'd written in his speech. and It, was, yeah. it just kind of summed it up, I'm afraid. Yeah, If the Liberal Democrats have got any sense. If Vince has, who's an aware... Person, he's a, he's very likable. He's very bright. He was good on the crash ten years ago. That's probably his problem. That was ten years ago. As a as a leader, he's, he's not going to take the Lib Dems anywhere other than down. And on that cheery note, <laughs> we shall wrap up our review of the conference season. Thank you very much to Kevin and, and Nicola. So we kind of agree that, that the Lib Dems are, are, are kind of slightly marooned, that Labour had a better conference than expected, limited arousal over anti-Semitism, presented a, an agenda which is definitely making the weather, and, and Theresa May bought a bit of town time, but the troubles are, are, are coming up ahead. Yeah, thank, right yeah. thank you for, for listening. <laughs> Uh, you can go to our website, which is mirror.co.uk forward slash eyes. That's A Y E S. My, I'm on Twitter as at JBT Mirror. Nicola's on Twitter at Nicola R Bartlett. And Kevin, Kevin underscore Maguire. We're back soon. See you soon. The eyes to the left. 